welcome to Tea and Strumpets, a Regency Romance Review. I'm Zoe. And I'm Kelsey. And today we are back on Maiden Lane. And I'm so excited to talk about this book because I think, so our first three Maiden Lanes were, I would say, a bit underwhelming. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I can't believe you made me read that first one again. (laughs) (sighs) Hey, sorry. Uh, But I think this is where the series really takes off. Yes, I think that this book, actually, I will say, so caveat listener is like, now that we're reviewing them, I will say that I have now read all of the Maiden Lanes because we (laughs) took a break and then I wanted to get a jump start on this particular episode, which of course then like was delayed months and months and months. Um, So I decided- But once you read this book, you can't stop. I read this book and then I proceeded (laughs) to just read the next one and the next one and then the next thing you knew, I read all the Maiden Lanes. In like a week and a half. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's kind of crazy to me that this one and the rest of them just have so much momentum and Mm -hmm. like so much to talk about, shall we just say. Yeah. And the thing is also, too, I was thinking about it, too, because it's almost like there's what, 12 books, I think? Uh, No, there's like 14, including a couple novellas. Okay, I wasn't including the novellas, but okay, anyway. Fine. <laughs> but it's funny because they're kind of grouped in little <clears throat> they're kind of grouped in like threes. Mm-hmm. So like the first three books kind of go together. The second three books have a similar like overarching theme. The next three books have an overarching thing. And like, you know, and then the three books yeah. after that. So it's interesting because you're going to like you know the characters, but you're still getting new characters, and then there's new like new information to get to you. And the Maiden Lane world is getting bigger. They're leaving St. Giles, and the world is expanding beyond Maiden Lane. Though you still get the house thrown in there from time to time. You sure do. It's uh, it's really fun to be revisiting this at this stage of the series. <laughs> yes. Um, today though is all about the house uh, because we are reading Maiden Lane Four: Thief of Shadows by Elizabeth Hoyt. And when Kelsey's saying house, she's talking about the unfortunate uh, children's and infants foundling home whose uh, name I still don't have exactly <clears throat> memorized. <laughs> I wrote it down somewhere. Well, we'll get to it then. Home for Unfortunate Infants and Foundling Children. There we go. It's funny because I can still, like, recite, oh, my God, what is is it? Oh, wow. wow, uh Uh-oh. Let's see if Pregnancy Brain can remember this. Um, uh, Stop the outrageous abuse of our fellow magical creatures and campaign for a change in their legal status. (laughs) That's what Hermione wanted to call spew. Uh, the or the House Elf Liberation Front or whatever. What it was spew? I can't remember spew anymore. Um, save our. Uh, I don't know. I can't. Oh my god. So I, I apparently remember stop the outrageous abuse of our fellow magical creatures and can pay for a change in their legal status, but I can't remember the smaller one. Uh, that's okay. Anyhow. You know what? Our brains remember <laughs> weird things. I hadn't heard a song in almost twenty years, and it came on my Spotify playlist, and I was able to sing the entire song. And I was like, "Wow, haven't heard this song in at least fifteen to twenty years." <laughs> Amazing. Well, let's dive into our book that we are excited to talk about, which um, we're going to start with a history fact. Yes. So there is a portion of our plot that talks about ladies and gentlemen's fashion in the 18th century. Now, what part of fashion? 
and it's clocked stockings. And this history fact comes from me being like, what the F are clocked stockings? Why do people <laughs> want stockings with clocks on them? Now, turns out clocks are not – clocking is not clocks like we think of them. <laughs> it is, in fact, something else. So now you're going to find out just like I did. Clocking has been used in hosiery since 16th century. Historian Daniel Dallas Hill writes about the entomology of the term in the history of world costume and fashion. The ankles of men's nether hose were also decorated with lavishly embroidered sections called clocks from a Dutch word meaning bell-shaped. See? Bell-shaped. Mm. And then in Jose F. Blanco writes in Clothing and Fashion... American fashion from head to toe. In addition to buckles, decorative stockings worn by men and women enhance the opulent patterned textiles of their clothing. In the latter part of the 18th century, fashionable stockings made of silk or cotton were generally white. They were often adorned with knit or embroidered patterns in metallic thread at the ankle, referred to as clocks or clocking. Of course, they existed along with more utilitarian stockings of linen and worsted wool. From Nan H. Mutnick Berg Encyclopedia of World Dress and Fashion, during the 19th century, hosiery was made from cotton silk or very fine wool. Those living in the colder climates, such as northern Canada, would have used heavier wool, white wool for warmth. Stripes and embroidered patterns called clocked, small embroidered woven or knitted decorations on the back of the heel or side of the stocking were used. Clocks could contrast with the color of the rest of the stocking and were generally positioned to be seen over shoes. Both men and women wore clocked hose and stockings until the early 19th century. While breeches were worn, men sported clocks, but they became a women's decorative element after trousers were introduced in menswear. Usually, stockings matched the color of the dress or shoes. Embroidered and striped patterns were popular. For evening in the 1870s, white silks in the 1870s, white silk stockings with colored clocks were preferred, whereas black became popular in the 1880s. The term clocking faded in use after the late 19th century, but certain hosiery designers continued to use it for their products today. While the term clocking is no longer used, its legacy is clear. Embroidered patterns on stockings experienced a resurgence in popularity and the 2010s. While they are rarely so sparse and asymmetrical as traditional clocking, unique designs abound. Embellishment is popular mach is popularly machine-made synthetic lace or applique work, but rhinestoning is also popular, if harder to maintain day-to-day. -day. And uh, there is a link in the show notes, and if you head to our Patreon, I will be posting some pictures of some clocked stockings. So you can get an idea because I was actually astounded by what it was. And I was like, oh, I've seen those before. That makes more sense to what I assume dresses. But you can see that over on our Patreon. And while you're there, if you just want to like, you know, become a patron, you can do that too. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great idea, Kelsey. And um, that is really cool. I guess I just kind of, I didn't even think that hard about it. I just assumed it was just some sort of embroidery. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I'm like really looking forward to seeing the pictures myself because I have not yet clicked on the link. So that is really cool to learn. And like, yeah, I mean, it's definitely you can totally see the uh, the legacy today mm -hmm. because we have a lot of embellished socks. <laughs> yes. No, I mean, yeah, we don't even have it just on stockings now. And I mean, you should see my knee high sock collection, man. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Well, our main tropes today are virgin hero. (laughs) And then we've also got class differences and an age difference. We have an older woman. Yes. We do have an older lady. Um, Our main characters today are Winter Makepeace and Isabel Beckenhall, Baroness Beckenhall. Today we do have a trigger warning of infertility. So if that is a subject that you don't like hearing about, this book may not be for you. Um, But I will say that there is a very happy ending. (laughs) Yes. Without a surprise baby. Yeah, no surprise (laughs) babies. There's no surprise babies. No surprise baby, but uh, a very satisfying happily ever after. Indeed. So shall we get to our synopsis so that we can get to the happily ever after? We shall. Isabel Beckenhall took a wrong turn and ended up in the wrong part of St. Giles. Luckily, she did, though, because she comes across a very wounded ghost of St. Giles. Isabel, seeing the approaching mob, reminder, the ghost just cut down Charming Mickey from the gallows, quickly decides to rescue the ghost and take him to her home. Yes, so this book is picking up just as the last book is completing. It's not even fully complete. Yes. When we don't go through epilogues, it's usually because they detail what's happening next. And in our epilogue Mm. of the last book, the ghost was seeing darkness come upon him as he passed out in the middle of the street. (sighs) So Isabel gives the ghost medical attention. And while at her home, he awakens to ensure that his mask is not pulled off by Isabel. Though he shortly passes back out, and Isabel stays by his side. In the morning, though, the ghost is gone, and Isabel reflects upon the fact that the ghost used her name in conversation and clearly knows who she is. Winter make peace. Our, our ghost of St. Giles has made it back to the home for unfortunate infants and foundling children, where he is the home's manager. He is quickly besieged by his sister Temperance, but it is good news. Silence and Mickey have gotten away and are now in hiding. Although that is good news, his sister does notice that Winter is hurt. Winter is able to play it off as just a minor injury from being caught up in the mob, and his sister leaves it at that. She has some house parties in the country to attend with Lord Care, so Winter is left on his own. He does spend a week in bed, though, to recover from his injuries, and when he is finally up and about, it is to find that Isabel has come by the house. She has been appointed by the ladies' syndicate, who fund the house, to be Winter's social tutor. While he is a good manager, it has been determined that his social skills are lacking. Isabel has volunteered to be his tutor because one of the women is threatening to have him replaced rather than refined. Winter, for that matter, is not welcoming to Isabel's tutoring and makes that fact very clear. He tells her her efforts would be wasted and she should leave. For it turns out Winter is attracted to Isabel and finds it much easier to be ruder to her than to actually feign politeness. (laughs) He's reflecting upon this while he is out that night as the ghost. During this particular trip, he finds a young girl and her dog and brings them back to the home for foundling children. It is clear the girl is very young, but she is also clearly afraid. She will not speak to anyone. Her dog is allowed to come into the house as well because Winter has a soft heart. 
The next day, Isabel is back. She's determined to get through to Winter. She tells him this, and as they're waiting for tea, Winter falls asleep. Because, you know, ghostly activities does not mean you get a full eight hours. <laughs> Quote, Isabel's lips curved at the last thought. Any man less rake-like than Mr. Makepeace she'd yet to meet. Why, he spent so much of his time caring for his home and the inhabitants that he'd fallen asleep in front of her in the middle of the day. It made her wonder what, if anything, he did when he had a moment to himself. Did he read? Perhaps he kept a diary or enjoyed or enjoyed touring churches. She considered but couldn't come up with any more activities for the man. He was rather an enigma, wasn't he? His life was given to self-sacrifice, but he still kept a large part of himself secret. He awakens when T arrives and finally understands Isabel's point. He may just lose his job if he does not submit to her teachings. So submit he does, and what ensues is a good bit of flirting, and if Isabel isn't mistaken, Winter admits to being a virgin in their conversations. How interesting. While Winter is receiving social lessons by day, he is still the ghost at night and has just learned of a new ring of criminals called the Lassie Snatchers. And apparently the leader is a toff. <gasps> Back in society, Winter is attending a ball to further the mission of the home. Isabel is impressed by how Winter has turned out in his new suit, though Winter is not very thrilled with the ball thing. On the way there, Isabel finally gets to see a glimpse of Winter behind his somber mask, and she is intrigued. Quote, Dear God, what she saw in that look, how he had hidden these many years behind the guise of a simple schoolmaster she didn't know. Anger, passion, lust, and surging hunger swirled in his stormy eyes, emotions so stark, so strong, she didn't understand how he kept them under control. He looked as if he were about to attack her, ravish her, and conquer London and the world itself. He could have been a warrior, a statesman, a king. So this good. is a good quote. I had to put it in. <laughs> so good. Uh, while at the ball, trouble is afoot. Viscount D'Arc makes the claim that Lady Penelope told him Winter would be resigning his position in the home, and he himself has designs on taking up the mantle of manager. This leads to some very pointed jabs and a wager on gentlemanly manners to take place at the opera between D'Arc and Winter. As Winter is cooling his anger, he and Isabel end up in close quarters, and he almost kisses her. Now, this is a big deal, because as Winter is about to admit, he has given a vow of chastity to himself. He does not feel he can be of true use to the children of St. Giles if he has a wife and family, because also the whole ghost thing, but Isabel doesn't know about that quite yet. When we're at the opera, things get heated. Winter arrives separately from Isabel in part because he was delayed by dealing with children, but also because he wants to question D'Arc's coachman, whom he recognized from his ghostly adventures. However, Isabel sees the ghost on her way to the retiring room. This time, there is no one to stop a kiss from happening, and it is a scorcher! Sadly, it is interrupted by D'Arc himself. Then the man proceeds to duel Winter, dressed as the ghost, through the opera house. Winter, of course, prevails, and he is also able to question the coachman as he leaves, because, you know, priorities. Um, 
However, he only has time to learn that it is not Diark kidnapping the young girls, but some other Toph. Allegedly. Allegedly. At least that's what the co- the coachman tells him. Yes. Yes. Um, at the opera, Winter is met with the tale of Dark dueling the ghost of St. Giles. However, while Winter tries to play it off, Isabel is no longer fooled. She has realized that it is Winter beneath the mask of the ghost. When Winter returns to the home later that evening, it is to find that the quiet girl he rescued earlier is finally ready to tell her story. And luckily, it turns out she was kidnapped by the, the Lassie Snatchers, and she tells Winter she and the other girls were forced to work making clocked lace stockings by a woman called Mistress Cook. With this tidbit, Winter bids her good night. At the next social outing, Winter and Isabel have their first official encounter. Isabel is finished waiting for Winter to make a move, and while they're hiding behind the curtains in Diark's room... As he's dressed as the ghost, and Isabel, as they're hiding in sight, decides to go down on Winter, and he is utterly moved by the experience. His feelings for her are becoming so fierce, he is having a harder time denying himself. Winter leaves the event through the window to follow a lead, and Isabel returns to an uproar. Apparently, the ghost of St. Giles has killed a man, a man who is best friends with Viscount Diarc, and now a hunt is underway. Isabel goes after Winter and finds him still dressed as the ghost as he's running from the dragoons. When she questions the ghost as to what he was doing, he at first doesn't answer, but Isabel is tired of the secret. She tells him she knows who he is and knew earlier when she sucked his cock. With that, a dam breaks and she is in his lap and they have a full on encounter. And even though it was his first time, Isabel loved every minute of it. Bliss does not last for long, though. Winter, full of righteousness and work to complete, leaves the carriage before it reaches Isabel's home. However, his mission that night does not turn up the results he was hoping for. So he ends up back at Isabel's and they have multiple encounters. And Winter also shares the story of how he became the ghost of St. Giles. The following night, Winter again returns to Isabel and they have another encounter. However, this time there is a tactical error on Winter's part. He tells her he loves her and then doubles down and asks her to marry him. Isabel is shocked and instantly says she cannot marry him. At first, it is because of their difference in stations and then age. But then she admits the truth. She is barren. Winter tells her it does not matter. Isabel, though, is scarred from interactions with her husband and thinks this will be too insurmountable an obstacle for their relationship. Luckily, Winter is patient and he tells her he will leave it for tonight. However, next... Everything goes to hell. First, Yark and his friends arrive at the Home for Unfortunate Infants and Foundling Children to accuse Winter of being the ghost, or at least that he knows more than he's sharing about the ghost. Then, Yark offers to buy a naval commission for the house's oldest boy, but only if Winter steps down as manager right then and there so that he may take over the role. Winter immediately agrees, because the opportunity for his favorite orphan, Joseph Tinbox, to become a naval officer is not one that he can throw away, even if Joseph Tinbox has no desire to leave the home. 
This is a setback, but Winter, ever resourceful, uses his change in circumstances to his advantage. He moves into Isabel's house as a tutor to her young ward, Christopher, whom we haven't talked about yet because this is when he becomes useful to the story. A few days after his arrival, Isabel and Winter have another hot encounter. Afterward, unable to sleep, Winter goes to St. Giles once again to find the kidnapped girls. And this time, he is successful, and he brings them all back to the home, as the ghost. Winter brings the good news back to Isabel. It's at that moment she realizes she has benefited from the Lassie Snatcher's child abuse. Her maid has been purchasing the stockings they've been making. While Isabel feels horrible, it does give Winter a lead on where to go and get to the head of the snake. That night, Winter finds Isabel in his bed. She is looking to use him to ignore her own hurts that have gathered through the day, but he does not let her, and instead of an encounter, we have an amazing moment of breaking down and support, while Isabel falls asleep beside Winter, realizing that she loves him too. But who wouldn't after this line? Quote, I'm privileged to see you like this, he said, his eyes fierce. Wear your social mask at balls and at parties and when you visit your friends out there. But when we are alone, just the two of us in here, promise me this, that you'll show me only your real face, no matter how ugly you might think it is. That's our true intimacy, not sex, but the ability to be ourselves when we are together. I mean, come on. (laughs) Ah. Winter has also come to a decision after his conversation with Isabel. It is time he took his own advice. Sometimes doing the right thing is not a sacrifice. And that is now how he feels as the ghost. Isabel has been asking him to stop since they became more involved. And having her in his life is worth not being the ghost. He does feel the need, though, to see the Lassie Snatchers plot through and confirm if Diark is behind the whole thing. However, he soon finds out it is not Diark, but his good friend, Mr. Seymour, who is the real villain. And Mr. Seymour attacks Winter as they are looking over the workshop that he had raided the other day. Back at the home for unfortunate infants and foundling children, Isabel, I feel like we need an acronym for this. (laughs) Isabel is finding that the orphans are rebelling against their new manager. And frankly, he doesn't care because Diark is only there to irritate Winter and see if he can get any more information on the ghost of St. Giles, who killed his friend. While speaking with Diark, Isabel directly asks him things that Winter was directly asks him questions that Winter was pursuing. In the process, she realizes that Mr. Seymour is the villain and rushes to find Winter and warn him. She is unaware that she is a bit behind schedule with this. When she arrives, she is instantly used as a hostage. Fearing the worst, Isabel blurts out her love for Winter. But Winter is not finished yet. He urges Seymour to fight him man to man, and even though he sustained a few injuries, Winter ends up victorious. Derek arrives soon after, having put the pieces together on his own after his odd conversations with Winter and Isabel, uh, to see a mess of things. But once he hears that Seymour attacked Isabel and wanted to kill them both to protect his money-making scheme, Jark believes them. He also no longer believes that Winter is the ghost that killed his friend. Seymour was the one urging that line of thinking, and it was clear he had his own motives to point his finger at Winter trying to get uh, a clear path to orphans for his stocking clocking business. Yes. (laughs) 
A week later, after all the craziness has calmed slightly, Winter once again proposes to Isabel in the middle of the ladies' syndicate meeting at the home. She tries half-heartedly again to remind him she cannot be a good wife for him. He'll never have children, and he just laughs at her. Quote, Oh, my precious Isabel, these are my children, the children of my heart, the children of my life's work. I'm the father to dozens of children and plan to be the father to hundreds of children in the future. Come, say yes, be my wife, and help me raise my brood. And just like that, Isabel says yes. But as she and Winter are outside the house later that day, she sees the ghost. But how is that possible? Quote, I told you I was the ghost of St. Giles, but I never said there weren't others as well. Dun, dun, dun! (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, literally. Okay, well, I can't wait to talk about that. But then we have our epilogue and it will give way too much away for next time. So you'll just have to wait until we return to Maiden Lane with number five. And I really want to talk about that last line with you. So first, shall we adjourn to the parlor? We shall. So today we're going to keep it a little shorter and sweet. Uh, If you'd like to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at T as in Tom, N as in Nancy Strumpets, Facebook slash T and Strumpets, and YouTube by searching our name. And if you are listening to us on YouTube, now is an awesome time to click that thumbs up and hit subscribe before you forget. And liking and commenting on our videos and subscribing to our channel is a really wonderful way to let us know you like what we're doing. If you'd like to know ahead of time what we're reading each month, subscribe to our email notifications via our website. If you subscribe, you'll be the first to know what we're reading each month. Plus, you'll get all sorts of extras, including exclusive content from each of the authors who join us on the podcast. Our website is romancepod.com, and there you can find episodes, more information about us, and other resources. So take a look. We are also on Patreon, and we would love for you to become one of our patrons. Our tiers start at $3 a month, and you get some cool swag and goodies, and of course, our undying love and affection at every level. Um, And if you join our top tier, you get to choose a book to be featured on the podcast, and we're going to have a few of those patron book episodes coming up soon. So, Watch out for those. We're so excited to read your choices. Absolutely. So go on over to our Patreon now. It is patreon.com slash T is in Tom and is in Nancy Strumpets. All right. I'm so excited to talk about this book with you, Kelsey, because like I said at the beginning, I just... As I was saying at the top of this podcast, like I feel like the series really takes off here, and I was kind of like does. that pulling line, you, and then the epilogue is literally why I had to read the next one. I and know then the next one. What a fucking twist! I know, like, right? You think you're like, oh my god, I'm learning who the ghost is. I've learned who the ghost is. He's amazing. I'm sad he's not going to be the ghost anymore. Whatever. But you're then like, you how find are you out have a ghost. The ghost was so pivotal in all these freaking books, and you're like, but there's more. Yeah, <laughs> and I love that he just says, "Not the only one." Mm-hmm. 
which is ambiguous. Yeah. And I'm going to leave it at that. We're not going to go into detail. <laughs> I wish we could, but we're not going to be able to do that for today. That will be a discussion for our next book. Yes. Um, but I – I just absolutely loved that twist, like how brilliant, how smart, because there is a part in um, an earlier book where Winter and the ghost are in the same scene. Mm -hmm. So if you're considering, if you're thinking that Winter might be the ghost earlier on, you're like, wait a minute, they're in the same scene. I guess I was wrong. I guess he was a red herring. But it's not. It's a a tidbit for later. Uh, Uh, Anyhow, so good. Yes. No, so good. And so, yeah, like this book also, I feel like the pace of this book was really good. There wasn't a lot of like back and forth. I think that like the kind of story picks up and it gets going and like every scene furthers along like the, you know, the the mystery plot throughout the whole thing. But it also it's like furthering the mystery slash furthering the relationship. And there's no really... There's no, like, unnecessary moments, I felt. Like, I felt like everything really, like, came together. And what was hard writing the synopsis was, like, it was either put everything in or take a lot of stuff out. And so yeah. I opted for the take a lot of stuff out. Yes. But, like, I could have put way more in, but then we would be here for another hour. So it would be an audiobook yeah. at that point. <laughs> I mean, and and you, I think you made the right call because I think that the essence was was absolutely in the synopsis. It got me excited again. It's been <laughs> weeks since I read this book. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, it's it's really interesting you say that because this book is long. Oh yeah. Um but this one is where I feel like kind of her kind of vision for this series starts to fall into place like because most of the books include some sort of mystery element. It's mm-hmm. not just a love story, right? There's like yeah. another plot that's happening. Um, but I think you really hit the nail on the head when you say like there's nothing in this book that feels superfluous. Like every little scene you get is like is driving the plot or the characters mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel unnecessary. And I think also where this book gets me is winter. Like the first three heroes that we had, we complained the same thing. They were all kind of alpha holes a Mm -hmm. little bit. Yeah. And I don't mind like an alpha hero with some like baggage, you know, (laughs) baggage or just even like some humility. Like if Mm -hmm. they have some humility or something or they're, they're taken down by the woman and you know, then they become a little puppy dog or whatever. Like, but winter is like, Definitely like an, a dominant personality. Um, I love that it. He has, he just has so much and he says so many awesome things. Oh my God. And I just like, he is like feminist and supporting and powerful. And it's, uh, yeah, no, because uh, he comes across very, um, he, he almost comes a bit across like a beta hero and you think like Isabel's going to be the driving force. And he is kind of, but the thing is, like, Winter just has this secret side that he doesn't let others see, and he, like, is patient and, like, calm so he can take a backseat. And it's so great, though, because, like, even in, like, their first encounter together, there's, like, a line where she's like, I gotta do this, and he's like, okay, we're gonna do this, but just FYI, lady, like, you're not get, you're not gonna get to drive this train, like, you know, every time. He's like, I'm gonna give you the reins now. And then I'm going to take him back later. And boy, howdy, does he. <laughs> wow. Yeah. He, um, he's really great. Like I, so, so 
Uh, let's just do a real quick, like, general thought summary because yeah. we've sort of talked about it. Like, I guess, like, what – how did this book hit you? Um, it hit – I was much more swept away in it. And, like, you know, it was one of those things where in the first three, like, after the first one, I was really interested in Silence and Charming Mickey. And then I was, like, a bit let down by their story because, yeah. like, it could have been so much more. But again, like, you know, very alpha, as you said, alpha whole hero. <laughs> yeah. Versus, like, Winter is a little bit less, like, I wouldn't categorize Winter as an alpha hero. Like, he's not, like, an alpha hero type. However, I wouldn't put him in, like, a beta hero type either. Like, he's kind of, like, an interesting mix of, like, everything. And so, Mm -hmm. like, and then pair that with Isabel, who, you know, is older. She has money. She's, like, very secure, like, in her life, you know? Like, you know, she's not afraid to, like, you know, say what she wants, take what she wants. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's a really interesting combination about the two of them. And then also too, like, it was one of those, like the, the fact that he's the ghost doesn't impede the relationship at all. Mm -hmm. Like, which was nice to see. It's not the overhanging secret. They're like, where you're like, when will they find out? Blah, blah, blah. No, it's like, she figures it out. She goes after she him. She has a suspicion she, from yeah. almost the beginning. And then she's like, really? Like, why would I think this about this person? Yeah. And then she's like, no, it is him. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, it is him. And it's so great because he's trying to be all brooding mysterious. She's like, winter. <laughs> Talk to me. Like, and he's take like, off your mask. <laughs> and he's like, you knew it was me. And she's like, I just sucked your cock. What do you think? Do you think so- I just go around like sucking dick of any random like mysterious ghost behind any curtain? Of course it's you. Duh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So oh, I just love it. I, I, I don't know. This book hit me really well, too, because I remember it just being such a delight. Like there's there's such interesting twists and turns around every corner. Like mm-hmm. I think it delivers on like everything you could ask for. You have a really interesting hero and heroine yeah. who are both smart, who have open and honest conversations with each other despite major important secrets in their lives. Yeah. And you also have like each of them has struggles that the other person is able to help them overcome. And then you have this other fun mystery plot going on mm-hmm. that doesn't feel weighty because it helps their relationship develop Mm -hmm. like all the things about the mystery also play into their relationship like it's connected it's not just there's also a mystery um, which is so wonderful and then you've got like the intrigue of the ghost and you've got the cliffhanger at the end I mean like this yeah I I desperately wanted to keep reading this series as soon as I was done with this book and I was like yeah I could totally see myself like just diving through but I didn't I saved it this was the turning point for me and I think like it's good because at the same time too like having read this like going back over this book for the synopsis I'm like I'm excited to read the next book again like I'm excited because I remember like because it was good (laughs) yeah it is good and what's funny is like I I'm excited about that book um uh and Yet also, like, I cannot wait. I know that there's one coming up past that. Mm -hmm. Um, I cannot remember the heroine's name, but I know the hero's name is Apollo. Don't even get me started on Apollo. That (laughs) book. 
so much. And it's not just because it's a Beauty and the Beast trope. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, yeah. But yeah. So, so here on I would say this book, if you weren't as interested in the other ones, this book would be the one worth giving a shot. You can skip the other three. Read this one. Yeah. The, the only thing that gives you more payoff with this book is – simply that you've had the buildup of the ghost. And if you've already listened to our first three episodes and you and now you've listened this far uh, and you haven't read this book, then you're good enough. Like you might as well, you know, Winter's the ghost. But like, that's the only reason that I think it's kind of fun to read the first three. But they are not, they're not no, that good they're comparatively. Not. And like they also, and I will say like, they give you backstory for some later books, but again, like it's just they're not necessary in my mind. Like as a as a rom- if as a voracious romance reader, you will survive not having that little 100%. bit of extra. Yeah, you can so. start here or after listening. To- you should actually start here because I did leave a lot of this out. So if you really enjoyed the synopsis and you're thinking about reading it, but maybe just thinking about skipping to the next one, I highly recommend reading this book because there's just a lot more in it that I didn't oh include that's going to make the next book even better. Okay. So, I mean, we have a virgin hero. I love a virgin hero. First of all, he's open about his virginity. I'm talking about the hero now, if you can figure it out. Yeah, we're moving First on. First of all, he's open about <laughs> his virginity. Second of all, he's got like, you know, the two... F- three faces, right? He has the he has the winter make peace home manager who's like so stoic and like mm-hmm. so good with the kids. Um and then you've got like the broody um kind of angry gentlemanly type that mm-hmm. Isabel gets to see um, or passionate, I suppose one should should add. And then you've got the ghost, right? Which is like yeah. Oh. yeah. Anyhow, I just and, and then Isabel starts to get to see, like, all of the sides of him because she's, you know, she's the person he lets in. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't give one damn about Isabel's age or status or station no. or anything. He's just like, well, I am unbearably attracted to this woman and she is the woman for me. Like, I have. Yeah. No, it's I like am, the, it's, he's like, I am. I've never been this attractive. He's like, and he even says it. He's like, celibacy wasn't hard until I met you. Yeah. Like, it wasn't difficult. And then I met you and you had me like re-question everything I'd done. But it's just because I was so attracted to you. And the more I got to know you, the more I was attracted to you. Oh, my God. Yeah. He is so – yeah. So, anyhow, I – truly though like i could i just i there's nothing more that i want in a hero on the page he's a 10 for me zoe 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 it sounded like when you're talking about it i had a feeling this there we go um yeah i mean he's a solid nine for me like that's just there's the you know there's our weird subjectivity in it but like yeah he's a total nine like he's fantastic like i don't really need anything i don't know what I can't put my finger on like what more I would need from him because he pretty much has all of it there. What in the world sound did you make, Thea? Um, yeah, well, fair. Um, I, I think you're wrong, but whatever. Um. <laughs> and then let's talk about Isabel because she is also very interesting as far as uh, a heroine is concerned. Like she's she's not any of the heroines we've seen so far in this series. She's like, the opposite of all of them. Yeah. Um, 
I think she's super interesting. She's dynamic. She's independent. She she's very um, selfless. Although she does not appear that way on the outside. Yeah, she has initially she comes across as a little bit vain and shallow. And I think that's like, you know, Winter was attracted to someone who like came across as vain and shallow. And he was like, oh, why am I attracted to someone so vain and shallow? But then the- when really he realizes that it's not necessarily vanity and shallowness, it is that she's like she's literally always trying to like – create a vibe in the room, right? Like she's one of those kind of self-deprecating in a way people that just like make others around them feel better. Yeah. And I love it. It's because it was so beautiful. I may read you the whole quote in a little bit, but like there's this beautiful line where she was like, then their first lesson and she's like, ladies like compliments. You should compliment your hostess. He's like, your home is very comfortable. And she's like, is that a, is that, She's like, thanks. I don't even know if that's actually a compliment. He's like, well, no, it's like it instantly makes you feel comfortable. I think it's the highest of compliments I could pay you, you know, because it's like and then at the end, you know, he asked her, he's like, Isabel, will you make my home a home? Yeah. Uh, Amazing. Because she just has this like she just brings this quality. Like you said, like she's looking after everyone else. So like her home is looking for the comfort of others like she wants to facilitate the comfort of others and like you know she's just and yeah she has just a lot of really dynamic qualities and she's not she is not vain or shallow she doesn't come across as rude but she also doesn't come across as arrogant either like she's not arrogant in any way shape or form like I really think that she manages to have this independent streak which usually is combined with like a sense of arrogance or a sense of like entitlement yeah entitlement and she doesn't have those negative Mm -hmm. qualities with it like she's just living her life doing her thing yeah and trying to help other people like her maid is a little bit overbearing and and kind of like flouncy and she just like a lot of the time will go shopping to make her maid happy you know um because she's she's not that into it, but she's like, oh, this will be fun, and she'll be so happy, and mm-hmm. so we'll do this thing that'll make her happy. Well, and the story of Christopher, who we briefly mentioned, like, yeah. it is her husband's mistress's son. Yeah. And yet she, because her husband didn't provide for his mistress after his death, even knowing that there was a son, Isabella was like, I'll take him on. You know, like he deserves, you know, he's my husband's son. I don't care. You know, like I, I can, I can provide for him until you are in a better situation, you know, which honestly is very selfless, especially given her history and how much like, you know, how painful it was for her not to be able to have a child. And like, she really did struggle with that. And that was a huge disappointment for her. But then to selflessly take on her husband's by blow essentially. Yeah. And she tried so hard. What was kind of heartbreaking in the story is she tried really hard not to get attached to him because she didn't feel it was her place. Mm -hmm. Not because she didn't want to, but because she felt like she didn't want to replace his mother for him because his mother was still in his life, right? Yeah. And yet this boy was like so taken with her and drawn to her and she just kept trying to keep him at an arm's length because she felt like that was the right thing for him. Mm -hmm. Even though she, like, desperately wanted to, like, 
be his mother, Mm -hmm. you know? She just, she just had love to give. And here's a child who needs love. And like she, but she, she was like, that would be the wrong thing for him. Obviously, she was misguided and she learns that through the story. Yes. Um, And there's a triumphant moment later. However, we won't get into mm -hmm. that. But, um, but yeah, it was really beautiful. So I would like to get to Isabel's rating, but then I actually do think I want to touch uh, generally on the infertility in this book. Uh, yes. I think I'm also going to rate Isabel a nine. Like I had no issues with her. Like she was really great. And I think she, she was, complimented Winter so well. I'm also going to give her a nine. I feel like she deserves a 10, but I'm now I'm going to go with you and do the whole like, you know, I feel like a 10 is something that also like you see yourself in. I feel like that's how I rate 10s yeah. or like or, or see yourself or like really identify with. And so she just wasn't quite there for me, but man, she's awesome. Yeah, she really is. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about the the fertility, the infertility, yeah, I should say. So- I thought that there were some really beautiful moments discussing the infertility. Obviously, mm-hmm. you mentioned um, – I think the scene where she um, has fallen uh, – she is, is in Winter's bed, there might also be some discussion of infertility as well. There, um, Yeah, there was, there was a discussion about that. So like what I left out was like earlier that day, Isabel had found out that someone that she knew was pregnant and the woman was not – like in a place to actually like care for the child like she was unmarried and it was really like Isabel of course wanted to help her friend but of course seeing someone you know being able to have a child like being pregnant with a child and Isabel being like and I want one so bad and I can't even have one you know that it was hard for her. And of course, she was just like, no, it's fine. It's fine. And Winter, of course, just like chipped away at it. And that's when she had her complete breakdown. Yeah. But there are some – so there's that moment. And then there's, of course, the the ending that we we read the quote where Winter has that wonderful thing like, help me raise my brood. I'm going to be father to hundreds of children. Yeah. You know, like we can give them so much love. Like there, that that's wonderful. But there's another part too. About halfway through the book, somewhere Isabel does, you know, tell Winter for the first – time or or Mm -hmm. something. I I don't know exactly where this comes in, but there's a quote here that says, Winter knew that soon, very soon, he would need to mourn the children he would never have. At the moment, though, he had but one goal, which is to get Isabel to marry him. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I think that that's, like, a really important point of view that's put in there, right? That, like, he also will have to mourn the children he will never have because, you know, as he starts to shape his view, to change his views and to shape his kind of new view of the world, like, oh, I will have a wife, I will have a family, like, it's not looking necessarily the way that he'd immediately think. Yeah. So he, he continues on and he says, to her, like, shh, hear me out. I cannot deny that I would have liked to make babies with you. A little girl with your hair and eyes would have been the delight of my life. But it is you that I want primarily, not mythical children. I can survive the loss of something I've never had. I cannot survive losing you. Oh, that one I mean, was like, so good. So, I mean, so I think also, like, if you are a person who is not able to carry a child and you want to, then, like, this is actually kind of, like, this is, I think, a happily ever after that feels really satisfying. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Every, every, you know, I'm not in that position. But um, I just feel like 
this explores kind of all of the themes and from both partners, you know, not all, but many of the themes and the sides from both partners and infertility. And I think that that is, um, it's just really well done. Yes, it really was. And I really liked, again, it was acknowledged. It was there. I loved it. (laughs) Yes. Well, now a favorite quote. Do you have another one to share? Um, Yes, I was just looking through them because I did a few that were really great. Do you have another one you want to share? Because I know we shared quite a few. Um, I just thought this book was very sex positive. And um, so this is actually during one of their sex scenes, Mm -hmm. which we don't usually like share these things, but like, oh, this is so good. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're doing things together and it's the first, uh, well, second time. I think it's after the carriage. So they're, they're in a, in a, um, a bed or a floor or something like that. Um, she laughed, but the sound was frustrated. He was too high and hadn't quite found the right place. Perhaps she should. Isabel, he suddenly breathed by her ear. I have all night. Surely by dawn, I can learn this. Please show me. Well, that was quite frank. And oddly, (laughs) he didn't sound as if his male pride was hurt. He merely sounded curious. If he could speak this frankly, then so could she. After all, she was supposed to be the more sophisticated, the more worldly. Surely that meant she was open to more sexual exploration than he, didn't it? There's really great moments like within it, especially like with him. Not knowing, like, I thought all those were handed well, and that was such a good moment of it. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so I'm going to read the whole line about the comfortable house, like, that I said. So, um, so when he said, like, your home is very comfortable, uh, he realized now that was the feeling her house exuded, a sense of, a sense of comfortableness, homey. That was what it was. He glanced at her, rather pleased with himself. Lady Beckenhall looked as if she were trying to restrain a smile. I'm not sure that is exact. I'm not sure that is exactly a compliment. Why not? You're supposed to compliment a house's decor, she said patiently. It the taste of its mistress. But I care not for decor or this taste you speak of. He found himself invested in his argument. Surely the quality of a home should be measured by the comfort one receives there, in which case calling your home very comfortable is the highest of compliments. Ah, I really did love that too. I mean, that's also them kind of coming together, like, you know, from their different uh, perspectives. I have a real short one that I want to share as well. Mm -hmm. And it is, he might be a mere schoolmaster and she a baroness, but together, just the two of them, he was a man and she was a woman. Some things were fundamental. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. No, there was there was a lot of really and there's other great quotes in there as oh, well gosh. that I was looking over there's just some, now. Like, and I put a few ones. in there because I needed to. <laughs> yeah. So I forgot to mention one other thing that I wanted to. I think that this series in general, so this is back to our general discussion is fairly diverse for um, a a very traditional um, Regency series. I think it like, if you actually read between the lines, there is a little bit more diversity in this series because first of all, they're in St. Giles. So you're getting a view of the lower class Mm -hmm. like significantly. um, And the author really doesn't shirk from kind of describing the the shadier parts of life there yeah. throughout the series. And I appreciate that. I think that that gives you a little bit more um, 
of a view into kind of the different classes and the different lives. Also, the the child that he finds in the beginning, um, it, her name is Pilar, and um, it, she is Jewish. Yes. And I thought that that was a really um, – uh, kind of interesting thing. And there was actually a significant amount of information about Portuguese Jews in um, the lower classes area mm-hmm. and needing to escape uh, to London or or even not fully having um, their rights in in England at that time. But um, it, it was an it was an interesting little glimpse. And I think I, I mean, honestly, I've read this book at least three or four times. And I honestly did not like absorb that until this reading, reading oh, yeah. it a little more critically, mm-hmm. like it kind of just blew past me. And I've I've noticed that there are some more things like that in this series. And I do appreciate that, especially when an author doesn't necessarily have, you know, direct um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like direct experience with a different race or ethnicity or sexuality or um, religion. Mm-hmm. I appreciate when they will at least inject some diversity into the world just to say, hey, the world isn't just white and straight. Yeah. Um, because – and Christian. Um, because I think that that – it really just – it helps to show <laughs> – what the world is actually like and not to erase these things. And I, and I actually really liked Pilar's um, storyline and I super appreciated that at this very religious uh, home for infants and foundling children, he at winter just felt like it was wrong to convert her and raise her Christian Mm -hmm. and have her lose a part of herself. So he made the effort to uh, find a family that would be able to, um, help her explore that her heritage. Yeah, no, I think that he really did a, a good job with that. And I mean, I do, I do like that. And I think as you know, the stories progress, there is definitely a lot more diversity in the places of people, like the stations of people, their backgrounds in life, and who they are. And I think that um, Elizabeth Hoyt does play with those kinds of stories a bit more. So steaminess rating. Ooh. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. I was just like skimming things when I was like Scorcher. writing this up and I was like, whoo, <laughs> This tea was scorching hot, like not piping. Like it was I mean, it was like so hot, but like such a good tea. You just sit there waiting, like blowing on it until like you, just, you like, can keep just taking gulp the sips it up. as much as you can, like while it's still scalding hot because it's so good and you don't yeah. want it to like cool too fast. Uh, yeah. And there were five encounters. Yeah. So like so many wonderful there was encounters a lot. for it's our like, little virgin. <laughs> once, yeah. Once things got started, they just kept going. And yes. Uh, so yeah. and, and we did talk about it earlier, you know, as far as like a feminist recap, I thought it was super, I felt it felt super feminist to me, like the sex scenes were super well done, like all of it was super sex positive, um, winter is not, like I said, he's not gross and Alfie in any way in the sense that like he is looking for a partner and with Isabel he sees a partner and he fully recognizes her strengths and how she can help him and, you know, like his only reluctance towards her help at the beginning is just because he thinks society is dumb and he doesn't want to play by its rules. Yeah. I mean, you took all the words out of my mouth. I feel like this book is super feminist, which is kind of crazy just because we, we felt like the other ones were like less. No, they weren't very feminist. So yeah. much. 
And this one is like a 180 comparatively to uh, those yeah, ones. For sure. Um, and I don't feel like the series looks back from here. No, I don't think it does either. I think it just gets better and better. And I mean, like, I think this book achieves her intent. Like, yeah. I feel like I, I argued that in some of the other episodes where I was like, I feel like she's really intending to make this like feminist. And yet it just falls flat because of X, Y, Z. And this one just like, it, it, it's right on. I love this book. No, I do too. I I really I really thought it was fabulous. I think that it was it was what I was hoping for in this series. Yes. Like a, thanks for sticking that with I it. I was afraid. <laughs> like when you're like this series is so good and everyone says it's so good and it seems to be a thing and I had only read the first one and I was like that first book is so bad though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Kelsey, then what would you rate this book? I will give this book a nine. I'm going to stick with it. It's really, really good. I mean, I really don't – I don't know how it could be a 10. Maybe just because it's like in the the middle of the series and everything leading up to it was so poor and that's why I can't give it a 10. But like it was – it's super strong book and it's like it would – I would 100% be like skip the first three, read this one, just dive in from here. I am going to give this book a 10. This is a book I remember. This is a book that lives up to rereading it every time. Uh, I think I said it in the beginning, like, I just don't know what else I could ask from this book. Um, And it makes me happy. Like, I just, I really like this book. So I'm going to give it a 10. My first Maiden Lane 10. I'm interested to see if any Maiden Lanes will get a 10 from you as we continue along our journey. I know. Well, we'll have to find out. Because there's some good ones coming up. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Well, I guess the question remains then, what are we reading next time, though? Because we are not going to Maiden Lane. Uh, We're doing something else. Yes, we are, in fact... Going back to Bridgerton land. (laughs) Yes, we are. We are catching back up with our Bridgerton Happily Ever After series, and we are having a second pass at Hyacinth and seeing what she is up to. Yes, um, definitely an interesting one. Um, We've already recorded that, um, and I remember our conversation. So I look forward to hearing what our listeners thought about it as well. Yes, absolutely. So if you want to get in touch with us, our email is romancepod at gmail.com. We've already told you all of our socials. And uh, don't forget to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash T as in Tom, N as in Nancy, strumpets. So thank you all for listening, uh, for joining us along our Maiden Lane journey. Uh, But we hope you'll join us next time as we read the Bridgerton's Happily Ever After second epilogue for Hyacinth. And may all your ever afters end happily. Giles. St. Giles. Giles. Nope, nope, it's Giles. It's Giles. St. <laughs> Giles. St. Giles. St. Giles. Ghost of St. Giles.